Welcome to Colorado State University's podcast, The Audit, where host Stacy Nick talks with CSU faculty about topics ranging from their latest research to current events. On the second floor of Colorado State University's Morgan Library, there are hundreds of boxes and stacks of books all dedicated to just one topic, water. There's a copy of the Colorado River Compact, the landmark document that governs how the seven states that make up the Colorado River Basin allocate its water. There are letters regarding Elwood Mead, Lake Mead's namesake, who developed the country's first irrigation engineering class while a faculty member at CSU before going on to oversee the construction of the Hoover Dam. There are also documents that point to the destructive power of water, such as photographs of the damage from the 1997 Spring Creek flood, which put much of CSU's campus under several feet of water and caused more than 140 million damages to the campus. Each marks a moment in Colorado's long and complicated water history, and it's all just part of CSU's Water Resources Archive. Created in 2001 as a joint effort of the university libraries and the Colorado Water Center, the archive features historic documents related to Colorado's water resources. Patty Reddig has been the head archivist for the program since it began, building the collection that, at last count, totaled an estimated three million items. From maps and photos to meeting minutes and contracts, Reddig is one of the few archivists of this type in the country, working with state and federal agencies, businesses, and private individuals across the state to preserve our water heritage. Patty, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. For folks wondering what exactly a water archivist does, talk a little bit about your role. Why does water need an archivist? So the role of a water archivist has two parts, um, one being the archivist part and the other being the water part. The part about being an archivist is, is what archivists do across the world, which is collect and preserve historically important documentation and that might be all kinds of those unpublished documents, the, the maps and photographs you were talking about. In terms of the water portion of my role, that's, that's where the subject focus comes in. And so I focus primarily on Colorado water history. And that means water across the state of Colorado, surface water, groundwater, different uh, topics within the water, such as law, irrigation, engineering, endangered species, education, all those kinds of different topics related to water. And why does water need an archivist? Because water is basic. It's fundamental to everything we do. And lots of decisions have gone into manipulating our water. And so much has happened with water, especially in Colorado, with moving it, getting it to where people want to use it, need to use it, making sure it's available for wildlife and the environment, as well as being concerned with the quality of that water. And lots of decisions and changes have gone on with that, and tracking its history helps us understand how we got to where we are today. The archive was initially funded by the insurance payments after the 1997 Spring Creek flood. Is that correct? Yes. My understanding is that once the university received those payments, they essentially set up a pot of money that different departments or individuals could apply for and it was Robert Ward, who was at the time the director of the Colorado Water Center. He and some other folks put together a proposal to start a water resources archive. It got funded. So that was about 2000. And then as of July 1st, 2001, the beginning of the fiscal year, that's when the funding started and the water resources archive began. 
he and others had actually had the idea for starting a water resources archive at CSU before that, but had not been able to get the money or there wasn't money available. But he had already been talking with the history department and the libraries to, to get something started. In the meantime, he had been accepting and collecting in his office various archival materials and collections that people had offered to him that he didn't want to see get lost to history. So that idea, even before the funding actually came through, had existed on campus. Your job is to decide what's important to save and and maybe what isn't. How do you know whether a document is important and worthy of archiving? You know, for someone like me, who's a bit of a pack rat, that seems really stressful. Yes. And that is that is one of the biggest challenges in doing this job is deciding what to save and more importantly, what not to save. Because if we decide something shouldn't be saved, it could be gone forever and maybe maybe we didn't know. So, yes, having an archivist who is making those decisions really can influence potentially how history is written or how history is understood. So, so we take that very seriously. One example of how we make decisions, a few months ago, I was offered a collection from somebody I didn't know, a, a woman whose husband had been a, a, an engineering consultant, and they lived in Boulder. And so I, I talked with her. I, v- I visited with her in Boulder to see what she had from her husband, his basement office, uh, as well as a storage room. And I, I was not familiar with this person, but I, I did the research. I found out what I could. I talked with his wife. And I basically had dozens upon dozens of boxes to go through, things that he had already boxed up to put in storage from his consulting career, as well as shelves of materials and several desks in the office down in the basement there, um, as well as piles of floppy disks and CDs oh my and gosh. <laughs> all, all those kinds of stuff of you know somebody's working career that I, as the archivist, had to figure out what's important, what's not. There are certain situations where I might go in and say, we want it all, let's box it up and move it to Fort Collins. There are other situations where I might say, I only want one or two things I can tell um, what's important and we only want the gems. For this particular collection, since I wasn't familiar with the person, I had done the research and I, I tried to figure out what work he did that was most important to him to also influence the world of engineering, so to speak, as far as his consulting and his publishing. And not that I figured everything out, but I was able to make some selections. I didn't bring back everything. I left a good amount, but I did come back to Fort Collins and actually took two trips, came back to Fort Collins with something like 50 or 60 boxes of his materials. And, and of course, his wife, as she continues to clean out the basement there, she might call me up and say, Patty, I've got some more. Would you be interested in this? Or if she if she finds things she knows were important to his work, she can say, oh, you left this behind. You really should have this. And so to some extent, it's it's a negotiation or collaboration with the donor and the archivist. Other times we do our research, you know, to the extent we can, but it's also years of accumulated experience to help us know what we're looking for, what's important, what we don't want to save. Just so you know, some things that we don't save or aren't interested in might be publications. So, you know, his, his shelves of books, shelves of government documents, not so interested in those kinds of things. If he had, uh, or he or an, another donor might have 
lots of photographs or slides or those kinds of materials. And if, if they're labeled, great. If we know what they are, that's what we want. If they're not labeled, if they're not dated, if we have no idea what their photos of or where the photos were taken or when they were taken, probably nobody else will be able to figure that out. So those kinds of unlabeled things, duplicate things, published materials are really things we are willing to leave behind because, yes, archivists are not pack rats. We don't want to save everything. We want to save what will be used by patrons, what is historically important to save. What's it like when you have that aha moment where you're like, you stumble on a real gem and you're just like, oh, this this is this is it. Oh, that that's wonderful. I mean, there are times, especially since I've done this very subject-specific job for more than 20 years, that I, I can often instantly know if something's important, if something is a gem. And when it does happen, it is something that we can get excited about. And we know, you know, we kind of start making the plans of, well, let's see how quickly we can make this accessible to the public. Let's consider digitizing this right away and being able to put it online. Because it's not about us building collections for ourselves or for the institution. It's about us finding those gems, those historically important things to make them available so that other people use them and, and are able to learn from them. And speaking of gems, I know you have a few in that collection that, that have gotten a lot of love recently. From your perspective, what's the one document that gets the most requests? I think I know the answer, but... <laughs> well, the one document we're often getting out or talking about is our copy of the Colorado River Compact. And by our copy, I mean the copy that was owned by Delph Carpenter, who was a Greeley water lawyer, who was the person who originated the idea of interstate water compacts for the West. That's something we get out often, partly because of its significance, not only to the area and to Colorado, but to the West in general and really to the nation as a whole. It's a really foundational document for how things operate, especially in terms of the Colorado River and other rivers in the West. That said, there isn't really one single document that the public or that, that researchers or patrons are requesting because we have such a, a diversity of materials and patrons have all kinds of really interesting research questions. I will say a, a lot of locals and even CSU students tend to do research related to the Poudre River because it's right here in our backyard and we do have a, a number of Poudre River-related collections in the Water Resources Archive, and, and those are always fun. Those are always really interesting projects to dig into the rich history of the Poudre River, maybe with new perspectives or maybe telling the same historical story but in a new way. But we do get all kinds of patrons with all kinds of questions, and that's, that's part of the fun of archives is you never know what somebody's going to want to look at or use or what kinds of questions that they will have, that we have resources to help them with. And the archive is accessible not just to students, right? Correct, correct, yes. Everything we have in the Archive and Special Collections Department at the library, which includes the Water Resources Archive, is accessible to everyone. We do have a few things that might be restricted for various reasons, such as attorney-client privilege or student information, things that might be restricted, but those are pretty few we are open three days a week for walk-ins over in Morgan Library, so people can come over and talk to us and request materials and, and use them there. Uh, we also are putting thousands of things online all the time, things that we've either digitized or materials that we've received digitally, and we're putting those online so that people don't have to come to Fort Collins if they're not able to or, or don't want to, and that way anybody around the world can use those materials. 
Who typically is coming to you and looking for things? Is it students, but also engineers? Who is coming in to look at the archives? We have a wide variety of patrons, actually. Our patrons include scholars from other institutions. The Water Resources Archive actually does have a small fund where we award people funding. It's called the Water Scholar Award, and people are able to apply for that to receive a small amount of funding to help them come to Fort Collins if that's what they need to do for their research. We also get an occasional water lawyer who will be investigating something likely for some sort of lawsuit or court case. We also get just the general public who might have questions about their new property that they bought and a a ditch going through their or nearby their property that they're curious about and want to know more about. So our patrons are really unpredictable, but that's what we're here for is to be open to everyone and help them with their questions. You know, as you mentioned, you've been in this role for quite a while. How has this role changed how you see water and its role in Colorado? When I started this job... I knew about archives. I had archival experience in my background, but I was still new to Colorado, and I did not really know anything about water. I always say to people that easily for the first two or three years in this position, I learned what I didn't know about water. (laughs) And I've been fortunate to be able to attend some classes here at CSU. I meet professors, talk with people, go to water conferences, and read a lot of books, of course but really get a grasp of what water in Colorado means, what's done, the current issues that are always evolving. And so it's it's been a real education for me to learn about water and how important it is and think about things like, why are there so many water lawyers in the state of Colorado as opposed to elsewhere? Or what do we mean when we, you know, we, we talk about ditches a lot. And I'm, I'm originally from the eastern side of the United States. And so when I talk to relatives there and talk about ditches or ditch companies, I have to explain. It's about the irrigation. It's about getting water to grow crops. It's not about getting rid of water as ditches in the east are more about wastewater or getting rid of excess water. And so it's it's been quite the education. Earlier this week, uh, I took a tour with you at the archive, and it was a little overwhelming to see uh, such a uh, variety of items, including from Ralph uh, Partial, who created the Partial Flume. I learned about the Partial Flume this week, uh, a device uh, developed to measure the flow of surface water and irrigation flow. And you you have some of his engineering homework from his time as a student at CSU as well as uh, it showed me a painting that he'd done later in life. Why are those types of things important to hold on to? What do they tell us about Colorado water history? We talk about Ralph Parshall a lot in the Water Resources Archive, um, in part because of the importance of the work he did. And you mentioned the the Parshall flume. That's what uh, we kind of start with because it's named for him, and it's an, an innovation that had impact on water around the world. Ralph Parshall was a graduate of CSU back when it was Colorado Agricultural College in 1904 and had worldwide impact. His documents and the other kinds of things like that that we have in the Water Resources Archive are important because they help us know what's happened before. And since water is fundamental to all life, and here in Colorado, what we do with water is absolutely fundamental And it really shapes how we are able to live here and what we are able to do here. Um, It it shapes our lifestyles in in the state. 
what we've done with water, how we've moved it, how we share it or don't share it, how we pollute it or clean it up, what we do with the, the water has impact in so many aspects of our lives. And knowing the history of who did what, what decisions got made, what was successful, what what failures might have happened, what things were proposed that didn't get done, um, knowing those that kind of historical information helps us understand how we got to where we are today with some of our current issues. But it also helps us understand what we could do better or do differently going into the future. We can look at ideas from the past. We can look at those lessons and, in, in the best case, apply them to develop a better future. Thank you so much for being here, Patty. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Patty Reddick, archivist of CSU's Water Resources Archive. I'm your host, Stacey Nick, and you're listening to CSU's The Audit. <laughs>